I have been needing to say something publicly that's been building within my heart privately. The source is this onslaught, it seems, of negativity that seems to be coming literally from every possible direction. And so I just want to say, enough already! <laughs> Please! Enough already! Anytime that you turn on the news, anytime your browser pops up or you listen to the radio, some henny penny somewhere is proclaiming that the world as we know it's coming to an end. And from here to November, it's going to be all President Trump's fault, I can assure you of that. And it's just hit a ridiculous place in my heart. Now, there are some heartbreaking things happening. Art just let us reminded us of some of the things that are striking our church that just steal our breath away. People are sick. People are dying. Jobs have been lost. Parents are trying to work from homes with kids crawling all over them. Kids are wanting to be back in school because their parents are crawling all over them. Economy's struggling. The nation's divided. And Satan would love to keep us right there in the midst of hopelessness. And for me, it's just been easy to get sucked into the negativity and the fear and the anxiety of it all. And it just seems to be, I'm just speaking for myself, overwhelming. And so I'm just curious, if that's how you're feeling, would you mind saying me too? Yeah. It's just here and it's present. To be honest, this week, I was one of those people in a way I really wasn't prepared for. We had a going away party for our summer interns who have just absolutely rocked it this summer. But we had a going away party for them this week, and I couldn't go. I emotionally just couldn't go. Matter of fact, during that meal, Vicki texted me and she said, are you just going to come down and maybe say hi? I couldn't get there. I couldn't. Life was a challenge before COVID, but my, what an overwhelming challenge it's been ever since this stinking virus has arrived. So I find myself easily getting put out. And that's not like me. Easily getting discouraged. That's not like me. Easily getting angry. That's, that's not like me. And I just want to say, God, the snow globe has been shaking enough, hadn't it? It's been, the wake of it all has just been pouring itself into our family. It's been pouring itself into our church family. And I'm just wondering, God, is, is it ever going to get back to some level of what we knew as normal? And is that something you even want? And so one of the songs I've got to tell you I've been singing this week is this, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Please, open the eyes of my heart because I, I need to see you. I, I need to see you. I, I'm seeing the uncertainty and I'm seeing all that's wrong, but I need to see what's right. I need to remind you what's certain about you. And to be honest, I'm fighting to keep a perspective of faith and, and a perspective of joy. And if you're struggling also, I've come this morning really to encourage us to keep fighting. I don't know if, if the words that I prepared to do that, but I've been asking the Spirit, would you please take this sack lunch of a lesson and, and bring it this morning because we need it. <laughs> now Wednesday, I've got to tell you this, my faith got a steroid shot. Watching our college kids and, and our high school kids 
pouring their lives into our elementary kids in Way Cool Wednesday. My goodness, to see them engaging and, and having fun and yet at the same time pointing them to what Jesus looks like by serving those elementary kids. Parents, I am telling you, you would have been proud. I was. Some great things that are going on. And even in the midst of all this nonsense, oh, that's just so wearisome. Man, COVID's pushed us outside of our boxes. And some of that's good. Uh, even having Wakeful Sunday, even taking it down to the park and what we've been doing here in our building is, is outside the realm of what we've been doing with VBSs. And so we're getting to experience something that we hadn't. And, and my, we're experiencing some cool stuff. We wouldn't have been there without COVID-19. So let's continue to be wise. Let's continue to wash our hands and social distance and put on the mask when our government asks us to and our business owners ask us to and our elders ask us to. But I want to say this. Let's stay positive, church. Amen. If I haven't said it clearly enough, we can stay positive. Let's do our part to rejoice in the Lord always. And maybe we haven't said it in a long while, but I want to say it this morning. This is the day the Lord has made. Say that with me. This is the day the Lord has made. Now, you don't remember this part. Become sunshine or rain, prosperity or pain. This is the day that the Lord has made. That's how I'm trying to start my days every day to remind myself that I really can rejoice in the Lord. You stuck this in there always. Yeah. In times like these, I absolutely believe a hope-filled attitude is absolutely crucial because a negative outlook I found rarely leads to a positive outcome. Haven't you seen that? A negative outlook rarely leads to positive outcomes. And so I want to do all I can this morning to show you that I am unmistakably optimistic about our future and convinced that the best days of the Lord's church are ahead, not behind. You see, we don't have to work at hearing bad news. That's easy. <laughs> it's easy today. But man, we have to work a little bit at hearing some good news. So I'm going to help us work out this morning. Our faith muscles a little bit. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, we're not the only church who's feeling the weight of this virus and all the complication, all the wake of it, all the negativism that just seems to dominate the media and so many conversations. And so we're just begging you along with the Salvation Army Church. Father, we know they love you. We know that they love your word. We know that they, they're putting their faith in you as best they can even in the midst of these faithless times and fearful times. So would you please knit our hearts together with them as we serve this community to try to be light in a dark time. They need you. We need you. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Let's talk about optimism. First, let's talk about what it's not. It is not a denial of reality. It is not putting our heads in the sand and pretending that everything's okay. It's not acting like nothing's wrong. It's not looking past the problems and, and wearing this pinned-on smile. The reality is we've got some significant challenges the world over, and so optimism is not a denial of reality. And number two, it's not blind faith. It's not. It is not a naive, wishful thinking that everything's just going to take care of itself. <laughs> you have anything in your home that takes care of itself? I'd like to borrow it for a week just to see what that's like. <laughs> Everything in my life that has meaning needs attention, needs feeding, needs taking care of, needs nurture. 
And so it's not a denial of reality. It's not blind faith. Here's the definition of optimism, though, I found on the net. It's a confidence about the future or of a successful outcome. It's a confidence about the future or a successful outcome. It's the belief that regardless of the circumstances, something positive will come out of this. Well, I think that's a pretty good definition. But I'd like to add what the weight of Scripture adds to that that makes it, I think, the best definition. And here it goes. Optimism is the unwavering expectation that our loving God is working every situation for our future good. Let me read that again. Optimism is the, is the unwavering expectation that our loving God is working every situation for our future good. It's the assurance deep within my soul that God's not just up there somewhere in the press box of the sky or that He's out there even on the sidelines, but He's in the game with me. Working every situation for my future good. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's because it is. Paul said this very thing to some Roman believers in a letter that he sent out among some house churches he launched in Rome. Matter of fact, Romans 8.28 is kind of a flagship verse of our New Testament for those of us in Christ. Where it says, we know that in all things, say all things, in all things, in your financial setbacks, in your struggling marriage, in your challenging aspect of, of trying to educate kids at home, living in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, in all things, Paul says, God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. Now, I want you to know, that verse doesn't matter a hill of beans if it doesn't matter in something negative, in something hurtful, and something harmful going on in your life. So take heart if you're there, all right? And please know that making it through to see the good that God promises will come, that will come through your painful and frustrating circumstances, not in spite of them, but through it, will actually happen. Need an example? <laughs> well, you're going to have to make a choice about this one. Because again, it's just not something that takes care of itself. Would you please take some time this week to think about what you've been thinking about? Please, just a few moments. For just a brief number of seconds, would you give some serious thought to your thoughts? Because the reality is, if your thoughts are consumed with negativity and fear and worry and anxiety, you will displace all the faith in you. You will. Because we've come to find out, haven't we, that what consumes our minds controls our lives. Have you noticed that? What consumes our mind controls our lives. And so, God encourages us. Change your thoughts, and you'll be able to change your life. How do I know? Because Proverbs says this. As a man thinks, so is he, or so he becomes. Now, that's God's word, not mine. And I found this to be true, that I'm generally moving in a direction of my strongest thoughts. And I think you have too. If in your mind the world says, <laughs> there's nothing but trouble here, that you can't trust anybody, if you hate your circumstances all the time, well, the chances of you coming to the end of your day and saying, well, that was pretty good, are probably slim to none. When you have faulty lenses through which you view everything, I promise you, you're going to experience a fault-filled life. And most of the time, your faulty life is always going to be somebody else's fault. Now try reading that or saying that three times fast, okay? But it's true. Faulty lenses lead to a faulty perception and it's almost always somebody else's fault in the midst of all that. 
Brother, the quality of your life rarely exceeds the quality of your thoughts, so I'm really asking you, think about what you've been thinking about lately. Which is why doctors will tell you pessimists really struggle to have good days. Pessimists are those who have chronic, consistent, negative attitudes about everything. And they always struggle with joy. And they always struggle with contentment. Behavioral psychologists say pessimists tend to view negative events at two ways. Number one, that they're personal and that they're permanent. You know what I mean? You've heard things like this. It's usually what gives you a clue. That, no wonder this is happening to me. I never catch a break. I'm always the one who gets the shaft. And it's because I'm a loser. They tend to think it's also permanent. I'm never going to catch a break. I'm never going to have a good life. Things are always going to be bad. Things are just going to get worse. It's tough to live that way. It's tough to find life in any of that. So friend, I'm just going to encourage you this morning. You say those things enough to yourself out loud or inwardly. You're going to develop a victim mentality. And you're going to be saying, I'm never going to get the job I wanted. The virus is unstoppable. We're going to be wearing these masks forever. And this world's never going to be safe, ever. And you've been hearing some of that. Have you been speaking it? Well, you don't have to settle for it, is what God's trying to say this morning. Being blessed, being optimistic, being full of hope isn't some state of affairs. It's a state of mind. Because what consumes your mind controls your life. So seriously, let me say it again. Think about what you've been thinking about. Are your thoughts drifting more towards things that are full of faith and optimism? Or are they marked by negativism and ugliness? If it's toward the negative, you've got to starve that. You've got to starve your fears and you've got to feed your faith. Life fact. Have you noticed this? Any of you who mess with gardens? Any of you who mess with human beings? What you tend to feed grows. So that's why I'm encouraging you. Don't, don't, don't feed your fears. You feed your faith. You say, well, Jimmy, what does that look like practically for you? Let me tell you what it really practically I can barely watch the news. So I try to spend between 20 and 30 minutes a day, once a day, and that's it. I, I want to know what's going on in the world. I don't want to put my head in the sand and, and be unaware of what's taking place. But if I watch more than that, I just want to fill up a bathtub with water and make some toast. It's nuts. And I don't know how some do it. One of the things that used to, used to be a struggle for me to go to Carlene's house was she had that news channel on all the time. I mean, it, it, was, it was inundating everything that we did at the house and around the conversations. And I just had to say, can we turn that off a while? Would you turn some of that off for a long while? I, I can limit it to about 20, 30 minutes max once a day and then I, I try to pledge to God, I'm going to spend double that time with you in your word. With you in, in song. With you in something that helps remind me that it may be awful in this world, but you made this world. And that's helpful for me. That's one of the ways in which I'm trying to, to starve the fear and feed the faith. Because so much of the news is just anti-God. And it's meant to be. Because the God of this world, the deceiver, the Satan of this world, loves to get to play his highlight reel every day in our lives. Are you tuning into God's highlight reel? What he's done and what he's doing to combat that? If not, no wonder we're struggling with all this cloud. No, I'm going to have to feed my faith. And for me, this is just me personally, I don't know how you do this, how you work this through, but I have to walk in faith, literally. I mean, it's get myself up early in the morning, go walking, 
and remind myself that regardless of what's going on in this world, He made it. And God has placed me in a place in this part of the, the county that I can, I can go some walking places that are just absolutely stunning. He even put a fountain right in the middle of my walk. I mean, I've missed getting to hear water running by leaving the mountains, but he, right there at the entrance of the heights, there's this incredible fountain that just flows down. And I'll stop and I'll just listen to the sound of that in the midst of incredible hill country beauty and just be reminded, you're a good God. And before I even get started, no matter what I have to face, it's a good day. That come prosperity or pain, it's a good day. And I can rejoice and be glad in it. I couldn't do that much. This last week, or no, I shouldn't say that I didn't do that much this week. I let my schedule and my agenda dominate um, my time walking with God. And so I, I, I jettisoned that and got to the office earlier because I had another series I needed to, to get some attention to and launch and had staff meeting on Wednesday. We had this uh, uh, get-together for the, the, uh, the interns. And all this week was just, it just was pushing, and I let it push me out of my time to do that. God reminded me of that this week. Here's why you're discouraged, Jimmy. Here's why you're so dry. So here's one way that I feed my faith. One of the most effective ways, or I should say another way that I feed my faith. Yes, I do a, I do a little walking with God in the morning where I pray and I sing and just enjoy His world. But one of the most effective ways for me is just taking a piece of Scripture that's rich and spending some very rich time with it, which is kind of the foundation of what we're going to do for a little bit this morning in this message. It starts with not just reading the text. I do that texting. Some of you do what I call texting the scripture all the time. You just kind of hear a verse in there, a verse everywhere, a verse, verse. And, but rarely do you stop and just go, okay, what do you have for me in this, Lord? What, what's in this portion of scripture behind it, in front of it? And who's responsible for it? Where was it written? And, and what does it have to do with anything in my life today? If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, when we come to the book of Romans we know he's writing this rich, meaty, weighty explanation of his faith kind of as an overall for the churches there in Rome. <laughs> and when we get to chapter 8, it's preceded by this chapter 7, which anybody in the world, if they'd read it, could identify with. Particularly me, Paul details there how pathetic he can be. Now, you heard me? Paul details how pathetic he can be when it comes to choosing God's way over the easy way. And I needed him to write this in the Bible. I needed this spiritual giant of a man who struggles choosing God's way over his way. I, I, I do it on the golf course. I need this on the golf course. Anybody here know Jordan Spieth? One of my favorite golfers in the world. One of my heroes. I love to watch him play. And can I say this? I love it when he misses a three-foot putt. I miss tons of them. Now, I hope this doesn't sound twisted or not, but I, when I look at a three-time major winner miss a three-foot putt, it doesn't make me feel so bad about me and my little puny golf game. Now, I always hope he does well, but when he doesn't do well, it kind of helps me sometimes. Maybe that's what Paul's doing when he puts in Romans chapter 7. That he needs to let us all know that regardless of what we think of him maybe as a spiritual giant, that he has some giant moments of just pathetic weakness when he knows what God would have him do, but this is easier over here, and I just soon do that. And that's what he's doing in Romans chapter 7, and he's going on and on about, you've heard the rant before, I, I know the things that I should do, God, and I want to succeed in those, but what I succeed in is the things I don't want to do. That's, and, and I do it over and over, and I'm, I'm just this mess, and I don't know when I'm going to get out of this mess. 
If you read Romans 7, you'd think Paul wants to fill up a bathtub and make toast. And then he pivots. Boom, Romans chapter 8. It's almost like he gives himself a, a self-talk. It says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's therefore now no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Boom, no judgment on my life, even when I do make mistakes and choose the easy way over God's way. His grace is greater than my sin. And he goes on to this, he reminds himself, yeah, if I choose to put my mind on the things of the flesh, there's going to be death there. And if I choose to put my mind on the things of the Spirit, there's going to be life there. So Paul, hey, choose the Spirit. The same Spirit that came into Christ's body will come into you if you'll welcome Him. Read Romans 7 and Romans 8 that way and see if it doesn't just kind of lift you a little bit. And it did me this week. Am I the only twisted one in this room who occasionally need to see someone else who's spiritually great look spiritually small? I would never want that on anybody else, but when I do see it, it helps me realize I'm not a loser after all. And we all struggle with that. Right in the middle of this chapter comes a text that I think we need to pull over and just look at it for a minute. Go ahead and put it up, guys. Romans 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. I really do just kind of want to pull the car over there for a minute and let it just kind of run. Church, read this with me. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. I wanted you to read that because I'm hoping it will be allowed to read you. I consider that our present sufferings, all these things that we hate and are enduring and are incredibly painful and obnoxious and just rude, <laughs> are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. That comes right here in the midst of this Romans chapter 8. You say, well, Jimmy, what kind of suffering is Paul speaking of? Well, you know it. Imprisoned multiple times. Five times beaten with a whip, 40 times each on those occasions. Three times he's beaten with rods. Once he was stoned, not for recreational purposes, once he was stoned with rocks, left for dead. Can you imagine that? Someone either beating you up so severely or stoning you with rocks they think you're dead. Just leaving the body there and someone walks along and helps you up. Or worse, you just kind of come to your senses and find out they left you for dead. That's Paul. He talks about shipwrecked in such a way that, I mean, wrecked, gone, done, where he's floating on a log in the middle of the night praying for sunlight to come. This is a guy who said, our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Just let that soak for a minute. Where are you hurting right now, sister? Where are you experiencing hardship that deeply grieves your soul? Right now, you heard this morning, we have two of our members who are staring death right in the eye. And mates who are holding their hands through it. I know right now of at least two marriages in this church that are in need of a ventilator. I know of heartbreak and anxiety for the diagnosis of cancer that came to Paula Harms. She wasn't expecting this. They went there to take care of mom. And now they're going to be taking care of her. Every week the school system changes up what we're going to do come the fall. And it's just wearing us out. And it's wearing us out as a church leadership trying to figure out what do we do next? How do we do this next? And, and you know, we shouldn't do this. And it makes me mad that you do this. And... We're just trying to be family here. And it makes you tired. And over and over I keep telling myself that the struggle that I'm doing today is giving me strength for my tomorrow. Now I didn't make that up. That's what God says here again in Romans, not this chapter. In Romans chapter 5 he says, we hope in God's glory, that coming glory, but we also glory in our sufferings. 
Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. That's good. And perseverance produces character. That's good. That's good. And character produces hope. So bring it on. I, I, I don't like suffering any more than anybody in this room, but is that the case? Bring it on then. Because my best days, I don't care how long I live, are ahead of me, not behind me. So I'm trying to starve my fears and feed my faith, and that allows God to renew my mind, which then takes my life in a direction of my strongest thoughts. So I keep reading. I pull over at Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. The Spirit says this, in the same way that the Spirit helps me in my weakness. In the same way the Spirit helps me in my weakness. In the same way the Spirit helps me in my weakness. Not just coming alongside me whenever I'm, I'm doing it well, doing it good, doing it with applause. No, no, no. He helps me in my weakness. I need to hear that. Because in these days of COVID for me, I feel completely incapable. I feel completely unsure most of the time. How in the world do I bring a message for even 138 people here, let alone 400 who may be watching online? How do I, how do I bring anything that's going to be meaningful and useful in the moment for their lives? Maybe for my life, but what about them, Lord? I constantly find myself second-guessing, okay, well, here's the people that I can get to this week, and I've I, I got to trust someone else to be able to get to those folks over there, and... I'm never going to get that right, God. And I find myself saying, wait a minute, Jim. Remember, he's promised that no matter how much you get it wrong, his grace is bigger than that. Remember him promising that you can do all things through this Christ who strengthens you. Remember, he promised that if God's for you, what in the world could be against you? Come on. Remember, I, I promised I'm never going to forsake you or leave you. Not, not even until the end of the age. We'll just continue on together. So I'm feeding my faith with things like that. And for those of you who are feeling defeated this morning and feeling discouraged that you can't take one more piece of bad news, that some way, somehow, God's got your limits confused with Tom's, I'm asking you to feed your faith. And I know maybe somebody in this room is saying, well, Jimmy, God helps those who help themselves. That's what happens. Well, that may be in the book of First Opinion, but it's not in the book of Romans. It's not in God's book. Romans 8.26 says, in the same way, the Spirit will help you in your weakness. It helped Paul in his, it will help you in yours. So if you're weak right now, friend, I just want to encourage you. Will you allow God to be your comfort? If you're confused right now, will you allow Him to be your counselor? If you're feeling hopeless right now, will you allow Him to be your hope? If you're anxious, please allow Him to be your peace. Because He's that good. And He's that involved. Now, when all of that just isn't working for me, one of the things that I, I try to visualize in my mind are two unnamed nurses following behind a work van that was about to be involved in a wreck. They didn't know it, and the driver of the van didn't know it, and the young man driving that van didn't know it. He's about to change lanes, and when he does, he's going to see an MGB out of the corner of his vision. And when it looks like he's about to hit that, they don't know it, but, and it's all unfolding before them, but he jerks the wheel back, and he's back in his lane, but it's not swerving, it's, it's rocking. And I, I try to visualize what happens when that van starts rocking, it, it blows out the sidewalls of the tires and they explode and all of a sudden jerks the van right into this huge sign that goes over the highway that directs you how to get to Austin from San Antonio, Texas. I visualize this couple seeing that, that accident take place and just seconds after that pulling over behind it to see, first of all, is it going to explode and when it's not, obviously going to explode and they see this 40-year-old man getting out and starting to help not one, not two, but, but four kids get out of that van but the driver's door never opens. I, I visualize them then getting their bags and, and running to that van. 
and assessing the situation, and I visualize him talking to uh, the driver's dad because the driver's still pinned inside that truck because the engine's all around him. You can barely see him. And I, I try to visualize the conversation that they have with that dad saying, listen, all we know is if we don't get an IV in this young man, most likely he's not going to make it. It'll help prevent him. We've got an IV with us. Would you mind if we put that in? And I try to visualize my dad in a moment trying to, to think that through and give that some thought and saying, yes, if you can help him in any way, please do. And so they, they can't put it inside of his wrist where most IVs go. They've got to put it inside of his chest because that's all that's exposed. And I visualize them putting that in and then them saying, that's all that we can do for him now. We've got to go. And my dad's saying, well, well for, for who are you? And, and well, just thank you. I said, no, it's our, our pleasure. Trust us. And then they leave. And about that time, I visualized the EMS people coming up with their jaws of life and the, and the firefighters coming there. And I visioned them beginning to open up that, 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 that truck itself. And I visualized my dad talking to the EMS guy and saying, where did this IV come from? And he starts telling me about these two people who came up from behind him and started this IV. And he said, well, where are they? And he says, well, they're, I visualized that they're, and they're not there. He says, I don't know. They were right here. He says, well, you don't know who they were? And you let them put an IV and you said, yeah, I just, if they said it would help. He said, well, it probably saved his life. And I know for a fact it did because I'm talking to you today. Sometimes I have to visualize, not just read, not just even go in depth into the study of the words, but I have to visualize God rescuing, not just you, but me. I have to visualize that he's, He's, he's here all the time, and His angels are here. All These strange people that show up to give aid that you have no clue where they came from or where they're going, but they just show up. At an early age, God started teaching me that when I'm suffering, He's just preparing me for the strength that I'm going to need in the future. That accident in San Antonio, Texas has always been my visual to remind me that this living God, who I don't always see and who I sometimes lose track of, never loses track of me, ever. So many people have said to me over the last couple of weeks, I just want my life back to normal. <laughs> well, I want, to hear, I want you to hear this. I've got more faith in that. Those of you who want your life to go back to normal, you're the same folks that I heard fussing about what your normal was like and how you wanted to change it. Oh, some of you are here? That was just hypothetical. You want to go back to that normal, really? No, you don't. You just don't. I don't. God's calling us to have faith that He's going to lead us to something better than that normal. Now, I may not appreciate the suffering that I'm going through for the moment, but I do appreciate the strength it's producing in me for the greater things God's prepared for all of us. I believe that by faith, God can do exceedingly, abundantly more than anything we could ask or think, church. I'm believing that some of you are going to come out of this on the other side of this pandemic better than you ever thought about. That your marriage is going to be stronger. That your family is going to be more than just this disconnected bunch of parts, but actually a unit, a family. I'm believing for this church that our best days are ahead, not behind. I'm believing that our generosity is going to grow stronger. I'm believing that our boldness to be able to talk to other people about Jesus is going to rise higher because we've become aware how temporary this life is, how quickly it can be over, and how... It's a must, not an option, that we lead ordinary people all around us into an extraordinary relationship with this Christ. There's nothing that's going to stop the love of God through His church. Nothing. Because His Word always prevails. And His Word says that the gates of hell, not a COVID virus, the gates of hell will not stop it. And that's us.
So I'm feeding my faith and I'm starving my fears because I am convinced. <laughs> no, with everything in my soul, I believe that neither death nor life, that neither angels or demons, that neither the present nor the future nor any powers. Next slide. Neither height nor depth nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing is going to come between us and the love of our God. And one day, I promise you, I've got His Word on it. He says He's going to usher us into a life that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no imagination can conceive. And we will hear Him say, listen to me, enough already. <laughs> enough. And I say, Maranatha, Lord, come Jesus. Father, we love you this morning. and It's almost like we've got to shake our fist with these truths in the face of all this negativity around us, all this hopelessness, all this rancor, this divisiveness that's in our country right now. And it just makes us tired. But there's something that's just magnetic about it that will turn it on and listen to it and, and, and talk about it rather than listening to you and talking about you and dreaming with you about how you might be working in this. And we just ask for your forgiveness as a family. I ask for it as their minister, that I could allow my agenda to take priority over walking with you, walking for you, listening to you, ready to act with you. Thank you for this family. Thank you for the ones who remind me as I walk every day, as I live every day, as I breathe, as I fail every day, that your, your steadfast love is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness as we've sung today. We place you, we place you again on the highest place. And we come to this table today to break bread with each other, to remind us that greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Everyone said. Let's break bread together after we sing.